Hi, this is Ben Zorns of Ellerslie Mission Society. This message by Pastor Eric Ludy is entitled, Beautified by a Scar. When missionary John Payton was being ridiculed for going to serve amongst the cannibals, he responded by saying that we will all go to the grave there to be eaten by worms. He said, I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in that great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. Please contact us at www.ellersley.com. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy. Father, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to follow in your footsteps. Lord, you have set for us a way, a pattern. It's a pattern of triumph. It's a pattern of strength. It's a pattern of glory. But it's opposite this world's pattern. And I pray that this morning we would grasp it in the depths of our souls. This is your time for your glory. Amen. The name of this message is Beautified by a Scar. Let me read you where that comes from. Some of the Ellerslie students may remember uh, this quote from Charles Spurgeon. Suppose that your record should be from a birth a sufferer, through life a struggler, at home a wrestler, and abroad a soldier, and a cross bearer. And notwithstanding all this, you proved to be full of joy and peace, through strong believing in God, tried to the uttermost, yet found faithful. In such a chronicle, there is something worth remembering. There is no glory in being a featherbed soldier, a man bedecked with gorgeous medals, but never beautified by a scar or ennobled by a wound. All that you ever hear of such a soldier is that his spurs jingle on the pavement as he walks. There is no history for this carpet knight. He is just a dandy. He never smelled gunpowder in battle in his life. If he did, he fetched out his cologne to kill the offensive odor. Oh, if we could be wise enough to choose, even were as wise as the Lord himself, we would choose the troubles which he has appointed to us. And we would not spare ourselves a single pang. There is nothing in the natural realm that would cause us to identify and understand what Charles Spurgeon is talking about here. There is nothing in us naturally that desires to be beautified by a scar or ennobled by a wound. And yet, this is Christianity. I'm going to describe something to you, and this will be a very unusual message. I'm going to talk about a feast. There's three great feasts in the Hebrew culture, and I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on the feasts, but I will give you at least some basic information. Passover, Pentecost, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. And this, this feast, which I'm calling the Great Crowning Festival, it's the seventh month of the year, it's the third feast in a year, the Feast of Great Rejoicing, and then remember, it's called the Feast of Tabernacles. Tabernacle is not a word that we use. Okay? Now, I know that most of you have heard of the tabernacle in the wilderness when the Israelites were passing through between Egypt and uh, the land of promise, Canaan. And there, the temple of God was actually in a tent or in a tabernacle. Well, that's important here because that is what is being celebrated. However, let me give you a different name for it. The Feast of Tents. I know this doesn't necessarily resonate or make a lot of sense to us just natural. We, we're not Hebrews. Uh, we didn't grow up with the understanding of this. Most of us have never celebrated 
this particular festival. Passover makes a little more sense to us. Jesus died. Pentecost makes a little sense to us because that's the outpouring of the Spirit of God. In other words, the Feast of Harvest, that's what Pentecost is, the bringing in of the wheat. We might not understand the bringing in of the wheat, but we do understand the outpouring of the Spirit. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through very briefly what this is, and there's going to be a point to this, and it actually relates to this notion of being beautified by a scar, even though it might not seem like it at the outset. At this festival or this feast, everybody brings the lulab. Now, lulab isn't a, isn't a thing in Scripture. That's a thing in uh, the Hebrew understanding of the culture. It is written in, in Scripture, but it's not called the lulab. So we're going to understand it as the lulab. But the lulab is branches of thick foliage gathered and bound together, the materials used to build temporary festival houses. So everyone chops down, lops down huge limbs from trees. And they need to be lush and full of foliage. And they gather them together and they all bring their lulab to the festival. This is what is used to build little mini tents, festival houses. And everyone gets under their house for the festival. And for some reason they have great rejoicing when they do this. It's a strange concept, I realize that, but we're building something here. In Leviticus 23, we see this concept, and you shall take, and, and you shall take you on the first day of the boughs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and the boughs of thick trees, and willows of the brook, and ye shall rejoice before the Lord. It's a command. Take, all, take your lulab, get it together, and you're going to rejoice. Oh, okay, God. You're going to rejoice. It's going to be a key thing, as you're going to see. Go forth unto the mountain. Now, this is in the book of Nehemiah. So this is the return of the, uh, the exiles to Israel. The, wall, the temple's been rebuilt. The walls have been rebuilt. And now they're going to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Go forth unto the mountain and fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees to make booths. It's the concept of a tent, a booth. As it is written, so the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths listen to this and there was very great gladness now for most of us you know you hand us a pile of branches there isn't very great gladness because of it there isn't great rejoicing because we have some piles of you know hacked off limbs there's more to this that we don't understand see we're disconnected from this however they're building little tents little dwellings little houses The Almighty Tent Maker. And so here we have this concept of tents. And we're a little disconnected from the idea of tent making. However, I want you to realize tent making is a concept that is brought out in Scripture. And I'm going to say the Almighty Tent Maker, which is basically going to give you my conclusion before I even start into it. God builds tents. Isn't that a strange thought? God's the Almighty Tent Maker. Now, this is Solomon. Solomon, who is the one who built the temple of the Lord, the tent of the Lord, he is a tent maker. Solomon, king of Israel, the king of peace. Does that sound familiar? And all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto King Solomon at the feast in the seventh month. What feast is that? That's the Feast of Tabernacles. The temple was dedicated at the Feast of Tabernacles. Any accident there? Of course not. Very purposeful. See, that's what it is a celebration of. It's a celebration of the tent of God. 
you remember the New Testament, what Paul does? He turns everything on its head. Do you not know that you are that tent? So we see, now let me give you a little just juicy piece of information here. And all the men of Israel assembled themselves into King Solomon at the feast in the seventh month. Feast of Tabernacles, all the men were required. The women, it was voluntary. Okay, They didn't have to come. The men had to be there. And God gave Israel a promise. You know, because could you imagine a more vulnerable time in all of the, the year than when all the men are required to leave their homes and go to Jerusalem to celebrate a feast? If you were the Philistines, when would you attack? Feast of Tabernacles. This is a no-brainer. Guess what? God said, your homes will be secure. Come. All the men, come. And they would literally leave their home. Seemingly vulnerable, but is it vulnerable? God says, you come, I'll protect your home. Isn't that interesting? So all the men assemble. Then spoke Solomon, I have surely built thee a house to dwell in. Speaking to God, I settled a settled place for thee to abide in forever. So there's a tent. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome. And you're like, what does this have to do with tents? And came unto them, and because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought. For by their occupation, they were tent makers. Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers. And Paul was of the same craft. Paul was a tent maker. Isn't that interesting? No, some of you already knew that one. Solomon, a tent maker. Paul, a tent maker. Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building. And wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spoke of the temple of his body. And Jesus Christ is a tent maker. And he will raise it up in three days. So, now you'll see this parallel I'm giving. Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Tents. This is the celebration of something. And this leafy foliage is important, okay? The Pool of Siloam. Now I'm just going to add another little detail to this, and then we're going to put it all together. The Pool of Siloam. The Pool of Siloam, let's give a different understanding of what Siloam is and what it's understood as. The word is the sense, okay? Uh, Siloam isn't actually, but this is what it says in the scriptures, is that this pool, Siloam, means the sense, which is the word apostello. This is the pool of he that is sent forth. Okay, I know this means very little to you right now. However, this has a lot to do with the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, so there's this pool in Jerusalem, known as the pool of Siloam, which is the pool of he that is sent forth. Who is sent forth? In the book of John, this is only in the book of John, because John is the one who reveals the pool of Siloam on the day of tabernacles, on the Feast of Tabernacles. And so John himself is making use of this word. And the entire context of everything that happens, right around uh, John uh, chapter 7, all has to do with this word apostello. Who is God's apostello? God apostello his son into the world. He sent his son into the world. That the world through him might be saved. The Father has apostello me. And ye have not this word abiding in you for whom he hath apostello, whom he has sent. Him you believe not. This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he hath apostello. This is all Jesus speaking. Do you realize I'm the apostello? 
I'm the sent one. I'm the one that has been sent to you. The living Father hath apostello me, and I live by the Father. He hath apostello me. I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he apostello me. Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation apostello. He went his way therefore and washed and came seen, saying ye of him whom the Father has sanctified and apostello into the world. Thou hast apostello me. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast apostello. They have believed that thou didst apostello me, that the world may believe that thou hast apostello me. That's the book of John. Okay, do you get the idea? Jesus is the scent. So now we have this pool, the pool of Siloam, fetched with a golden ewer at the, in the Feast of Tabernacles. A priest was to grab a golden ewer, which is an ancient wine vessel. Okay, now if you know your New Testament and you know what Jesus says about old wine and new wine, this has profound implications. I'm going to try and restrain myself from going any of those directions. However, I'm wanting you to catch it. An ancient wine vessel is chosen, golden. And they go and they, they dip this golden wine vessel into the pool of Siloam, into the pool of he that was sent. The water is gained, and then it is brought to the altar, and there's two silver basins at the altar. There's a sacrifice. This feast are all about sacrifices. And there's a sacrifice, this offering up. In other words, this, this, this creature is cut open. Blood. Okay, you need to have the picture of blood. A sacrifice isn't clean in Israel. And in one of the silver basins is poured wine, and the other one is poured water out of the pool of Siloam. And they both come down through pipes and commingle on the sacrifice. The water and the wine commingle on the sacrifice. Five elements of this feast of great rejoicing. One, living tents. Okay? These aren't just dead branches. These are leafy boughs. Symbolic of life. This is a living tent. Can you think of a better illustration of a living tent than big, huge tree limbs that are full of leaves? And so when you sit inside of them, you are sitting inside of something that is alive. It is symbolic of life. It's green. So we have a picture of living tents. And then we have blood and wine. And actually, in both. The sacrifice has blood, but then wine, very specifically, is chosen. Water from the pool of Siloam. Then we have tremendous sacrifice. There are 199 sacrificed animals. Tremendous sacrifice. And then we have, get this, abundant rejoicing. These are the elements that the Feast of Tabernacles links together. Five interesting elements. So if you're following me, and you remember my message from two weeks ago, there's one thing that we're about as the Church of Jesus Christ. That's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You're going to realize that, strangely, all these feasts seem to flow out of that understanding. The apostello speaks. The sent one speaks. Listen to this. Remember I said in John 7? That was, I gave you all the times that apostello is used in the book of John. John is very purposely making it very clear that the pool of Siloam means apostello. Because in John chapter 7, we see now the Jews' feast of tabernacles 
was at hand. And who shows up at the Feast of Tabernacles? Jesus. This is seven months before he is crucified. Seven months before he's crucified, he shows up at the Feast of Tabernacles. In the last day, that great day of the feast, there's seven days and then there's an eighth day in which the feasting continues. But there's seven days for this feast and then there's this last great day, the eighth day. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. What's taking place here? You have the priest literally dipping the water, dipping the wine vessel in the pool of Siloam. He that is sent forth. He says, do you see it? Anyone that is thirsty, let him come unto me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Listen to the response. You see, for us, we would be like, what's the big deal? Jesus stands up and makes this cryptic statement about water. And then he talks about rivers of living water flowing out of bellies. Who cares? To us, we have no place for this, no context for this. But look at the Jews. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying said, of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem, where David was? They're actually on top of this situation. This is the Messiah. Something he said is triggering something here. It's not triggering it for us. But he is linking himself with The entire construct here, the water that comes out of the rock in the wilderness is the pool of Siloam. It's Jesus. He that is sent forth. He that is sent forth. That's what the pool of Siloam is. I am he that was sent forth. Come to me and I will give you drink. The river of life. Now you'll notice back here, you have this statement at the very bottom. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. That's he that believes on Jesus. Out of his belly, which means the innermost place, will flow rivers of living water. So let's start talking about the river. Because in scripture we have this very clear concept of a river of life. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, which is Jerusalem. The holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. And it shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drop down new wine. And the hills shall flow with milk, and all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters. Remember, Jerusalem is in Judah. And a fountain shall come forth of the house of the Lord. This fountain, as you will note, if I was going to go into all the scriptures on it, it flows from the fountain. In fact, it flows from underneath the throne of the temple of God. When Ezekiel has his vision of this river, it is gushing forth. It is this fountain that is breaking forth from The throne room. Do you not know that you are the temple of the living God? And a fountain shall come forth of the house of the Lord and shall water the valley of Shittim. In that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. For what? For sin and uncleanness. And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem. What's it talking about? What's this talking about? 
rivers are going to come forth out of Jerusalem. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And let him that is a thirst come. What does that sound like? That's a statement from John 7. Let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Seven months later, the great outpouring of God's life. Now, follow this. We have for ourselves a feast of a tabernacle, a very living tent that is housing this very life. This very river is on earth. Jesus is saying, you want to see the real pool of Shalom? It's right here. It was inside of him. And there he is hanging on the Passover of all things. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. Out of where? His innermost. Isn't that an extraordinary thing? This is the outflow of the river that has changed you and changed me. This is our source of life. The cross. First of all, it's a symbol of a living tent housed in the almighty Holy Spirit of God. And then blood, wine, poured out. A tremendous sacrifice, the Holy Lamb of God. And water gushing forth. And I'm going to introduce you to another Greek word here. Sorry to do that to you. Uh, but agaliao. I know that doesn't sound like the easiest word to remember. Agaliao. But you'll see how I put it with the fourth. Water gushing forth. Agaliao. This is what it means. Typically in the, in the Bible that we read, it's translated exceeding joy. Not just joy. Exceeding joy. Remember what this festival was, this feast. A day of great rejoicing. How in the world could any of us find anything to rejoice in at the cross? Well, that's going to be the theme from this point forward. Remember uh, Richard Wormbrandt? How in the world could he find anything to rejoice in when he's being kicked with the boot of communism? How can he have something come out of him that isn't equal death in response? When you are being abused, when you are being crucified, when you are being uh, thrust through with a spear, what comes out of you? Much leaping is what this word means. It's literally like a, a bursting forth. And you'll notice when Jesus or even the apostles would touch someone, there was dancing, there was leaping and praising God. Something is touching them and it's transforming them. The word, much leaping. Agaliao, a vigorous springing or gushing up of water. Exceeding joy. But this word, and I want, this is very important, it's associated with water. It is that which gushes forth. Now remember, this river of life, it gushes from the throne of God. That's where Jesus sits. The source of this is Jesus. 1 Peter 1, 3-8. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein you agaliao, 
Though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, trials, difficulties. You have a host of difficulties right now. And yet, Peter says, and yet in that you have much leaping, a gushing forth, a springing forth of some sort of water within you. Exceeding joy is the concept in Scripture. And we're like, I don't know that I have that. Let's keep reading. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, in whom though now you see him not, yet believing, you agaliao, with joy unspeakable and full of glory. This is the testimony of every true believer throughout the ages. There's much leaping. There's a gushing forth within us. Do you have it? Because this is the testimony of the saints. Peter's only referring to it as facts here. And we have the gushing forth. Though we be hit with the most difficult of trials, we have the gushing forth. We have the exceeding joy, the leaping within. 1 Peter 4. But rejoice. Listen to this. Inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with agaleao. With much leaping, with a gushing forth. This is a vigorous word. This isn't just like, and maybe you'll make it through with a, you know, a, a smile. It's possible. This is much leaping. This is a vigorous explosion, a gushing forth of a fountain that breaks forth within the saints of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice, brace yourself, and be agaliao. Rejoice. And let it gush forth. Let the leaping begin. Uh, did we hear the list properly? He wasn't saying when, when you win the lottery. He said, when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely, rejoice and be agaleo. This is when you do it. This is when the waters come forth. It's when you are struck. It's when you are tried. It's when you are pierced. It's when you are crucified. It's when you are falsely accused that we have the privilege of tapping in to the gusher. That's when we can have it. We want the gusher without the persecution. But the way to get the gusher is the persecution. God wants you to have the joy. But you have to be willing to have the end of the spear in your belly. And when it taps into you, out flows the fountain. For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Blessed are you when men shall hate you. This is a parallel, right, in Luke but listen to the difference in language here. This is really fascinating. Blessed are you when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil 
for the Son of Man's sake. Listen to what Jesus says. Rejoice you in that day and leap for joy. I don't know if you guys are catching how preposterous that is. And that's the words of our Jesus. He knows what he's talking about. He knows where the fountain comes from. And he knows how the fountain is released. Rejoice in that day, for the fountain has been released. For his sake. When we suffer for his sake, when we share in his sufferings, we also share in the fountain. You want the fountain, trust me. This is the life. But the way to access that life is to make your life vulnerable for the sake of Jesus Christ, for his glory. And you get to partake of the gusher. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. What brings forth the rivers of living water? The point of the spear. He that believes on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Who demonstrated this? Jesus. When did the rivers come gushing out of Jesus? Blood and water. Commingled. First of all, most likely for blood and water to come out of a man's side, it is a statement that his heart most likely burst. And the water was commingled with the blood. The very life and substance, the very spirit of God was poured out. This is how it came to us, was through Christ's sufferings. And so we see the end of the spear. How many of us want to have anything to do with the end of the spear? Especially in our innermost part. Don't touch my innermost part. The word belly is a little lacking. She'll flow out of his belly. She'll flow out of the throne room. She'll flow out of our center. She'll flow out of who we are. When you are touched with the end of the spear, the trials, the difficulties in your life, what comes out? It's what's in you. But the way that you are able to enjoy that fountain, it's like God actually utilizing these things in your life to give you what you want. God, could I please have the end of the spear hit me? I really want to taste of that fountain. And we're all arguing, saying, please, no, me, I want the fountain. Give me the end of the spear. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This is a list of scriptures that we want after the natural. We greatly rejoice. We rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Blessed are we, let us rejoice and be exceeding glad. We may be glad with exceeding joy. We are exceeding joyful. We count it all joy. And if we just stopped there and said, that's the inheritance of the saints. The problem is, we'd miss the way that that is unlocked in our life. Because these are half scriptures. I'm not trying to misuse the scriptures here. I'm giving, but I gave you half scriptures to make a point. Here's the other half. We are grieved by many trials. We are reviled, persecuted, and falsely accused. We are partakers of Christ's sufferings. We endure tribulations and face trials and testings. That's the half we were missing. And that's the half most of us wish we could throw out. You throw out that, you don't get the other list. 
This is what comes as a result. So when the point of the spear touches our center, we greatly rejoice. We rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Blessed are we. Let us rejoice and be exceeding glad. We may be glad with exceeding joy. We are exceeding joyful. And we count it all joy. It's Christianity. It's always been. I know we've gotten a little duped in modern America to think that it's all about us. It's all about our self-preservation. It's about us avoiding the end of the spear that brings us comfort and satisfaction. And I would like to dispel that and say that it's the spear's end that brings it. We don't fear the end of the spear. We want it. We desire it. That we would share in his sufferings. We want it. We don't just try and avoid it. We crave it as Christians. Apostolos. Now, remember the, the apostello? That was the word the sent. And then we have this word ca- called apostles in the New Testament. Well, that sounds rather similar, doesn't it? Yeah, it's the same root, Greek word. Those that were sent forth. Here's my subtitle. Those beautified by the scars of Christ. Who are the apostles? You know that out of 12 apostles, 11 of them were martyred. And the 12th one was thrown into a vat of boiling oil and was pulled out unscathed. And so they didn't know what to do with them, so they exiled them to Patmos. When God sends someone forth, they are beautified with scars and ennobled by their wounds. Jesus, even after he rose from the dead, do you know that he still bore the marks? These aren't negatives. These are symbols. It's one of my reasons why I would say that Paul's head most likely still remained crushed. is because it was a statement. It was the mark of suffering. And there is nothing to be ashamed of as a Christian. We bear in our bodies the marks. We are beautified by these marks. This is for him. Praise and a tribute unto our great king. Those beautified by the scars of Christ, the apostolos. As thou hast apostello me into the world, even so I also apostello them into the world. God sent Jesus. And where did Jesus end up? He was sent to a cross. Why? So that the blood and water could gush out and be efficacious for us. And just as he was sent, so we are sent into this world. As my Father has apostello me, even so I send you. Our sufferings prove what is inside of us. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came there out. It says blood and water, but I want to emphasize something. And forthwith came there out the life of God. What came out of Jesus? The life of God. What comes out of a Christian when we are touched? It's supposed to be the life of God. Have we been made a living tent, housing the Almighty Spirit of God? These leafy boughs, these leafy branches, this is us. We're supposed to be living, a living tabernacle. Do you not know that you are the tent of God? Do you not know that his spirit literally is meant to dwell inside of you so that when this world touches you, outflows that life that God has deposited in you? 
Is the life of Christ, or the blood and the wine, our life? Is his living water, his rivers and, and rivers of agalao, bubbling beneath the throne of God within, ready to gush forth? It's begging. It's like lifting up the throne. You ever seen one of those cartoons, you know, where a, a, an oil well is like, and then like one of the characters, like Goofy, is on top of the, the, the gusher? That's inside of you. It's like the throne is sitting on top. It's like, and it's waiting for the end of the spear. Where's the end of the spear? Everything the spirit is crying out within you. Please put it in my belly. Poke my innermost man that this world would see the life of Christ, that they would see my response. When is Christianity proven? It's proven in the trials, the difficulties, the temptations. This is when we are able to give life unto this world. And this world stands back in gaping wonder. What do they have? It's when men and women are fed to the beasts in the arena. And they worship God. They're being poked with the end of the spear. And out is gushing rivers of living water. And the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. If so, then when the point of the spear touches our center... It will gush forth the life, love, forgiveness, exceeding joy, and sweet healing waters of Jesus Christ. What is the spirit drawing out of you? How we respond to the end of that spear defines the entire course of our spiritual lives. Instead of grumbling and complaining about the end of that spear, instead of holding unforgiveness, bitterness, and resentment, We need to allow Jesus Christ to fill us and to be that response. And he makes it very clear in the New Testament, by the way, how we are to respond. I mean, it's overwhelming the evidence that I could bring up just to support the point of how do we respond when the end of the spirit touches our side. Is irritation coming out? Frustration, fear, anxiety, fretting, foreboding, anger, rage, Revenge, murder, self-defensiveness, pride, grievance, unforgiveness, resentment, or bitterness. What's coming out of you? Is it the life of Jesus or the life of a mere man? We get to see this all the time. There's nothing supernatural about that. Any of the other criminals hanging on crosses, spear can touch their side and out comes everything vile. You poke them and out comes cursing. We're used to that. But what the world has not seen is the river of life flowing out of those that are touched. And that's what Jesus wants to show in and through his children. What came out of Jesus? Therefore with joy shall you draw draw water out of the wells of salvation. That's talking about the pool of Siloam in the Old Testament in Isaiah. And with joy you shall draw out this water. It's the joy that was set before him that he even faced that cross in the first place. Our Jesus had agalao in him. It was gushing within. And it was proven. Those that witnessed the cross stood back in awe and wonder as what came out of this man. Joy. Agalao. Love. Forgiveness. His very life given. Healing. Restoration. Even gentleness. In the face of the harshest treatment, thrusting a crown of thorns upon his head, brutally crucifying him to a cross, he opens not his mouth, 
But what does he notice? He cares for his mother. He considers the criminals around him. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And in verse 34, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the river of life. Agaleo is coming forth out of Jesus. And we see it. This is the picture of it. When did it come gushing out of Jesus? When nails went through his hands. When a crown was thrust onto his head. And when a spear came into his side, out came his life. The life of God. This is Richard Wormbrandt. God's love, even in the face of torture, is always the best of ways. I think of him laying there on the floor of that prison cell. And the communist guard saying, what do you have to say for yourself? I forgive you. I forgive you for all you've done. What came out of Richard Wormbrandt? A river of living water. That river of living water had to be there before he was thrown into prison. Let's allow Jesus Christ to fill us today with all that he is. And we need to begin to change our entire paradigm, our entire perspective on what it means to live for him and how to handle our difficulties. Because if we handle our difficulties the way that he has assigned us to handle our difficulties, suddenly our difficulties are full of abounding love, exceeding joy, the sweetest peace. And people are healed because of it. The very people that are perpetrating the acts against us can be set free from that which binds them and holds them. We can be Christians and rejoice we're being fed to the wild beasts in our own families because we have every opportunity in this life. We don't have to wait for America to suddenly turn hostile completely to Christianity and feeding us in arenas to begin to love like this. That end of the spear can come today in a conversation with even another Ellerslie student of all places. It might even be unintentional. But when you feel that prick, I want you to allow Jesus to come out of it as opposed to everything that is hostile to Jesus and everything that is of the flesh and of this world. Remember them that are in bonds. Remember them that are in in bonds as bound with them and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. I want us to allow God to kindle a sensitivity for this whole notion of suffering. In America, we have no clue about this. All over the world, there are men and women that are dying and suffering for Jesus Christ. And we need to give everything to their support. If it means running an errand with a cup of cool water from here to some other country, We do it. But we cannot forget those that are in bonds. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Isn't that a funny sentence? The salutation by the hand of me, Paul. So here's what I picture. I picture this this book of Colossians being written by someone else the entire time. And then at the very end, he says, in the salutation uh, by the hand of me, Paul. And then Paul gets out 
his hand. I don't, I don't remember if, you know, remember that one scripture, I forgot which one it is, that talks about him writing with big letters? I have no idea what he struggled with. I, I can't define it because I never saw him. I, I never witnessed him trying to write. But I picture this. I remember Leslie, Annie, and I uh, got to visit, uh, had the privilege of visiting uh, Major Ian Thomas right before he died. And I made the mistake, even though it was a good mistake, uh, of asking him to sign one of his books for me. The major was a significant impact on my life. And it must have taken him a half hour, and that's not an exaggeration, to write it. I mean, it was painstaking for him. I'm like, no, 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 you don't need to do this. And he, would, he wouldn't stop. He just kept signing. But it took him forever to sign my book. So this is what I, I picture. I picture Paul saying, I'm going to do it. Give me the pen. And what does he write? Remember my bonds. Could you imagine? You have this whole thing neatly written, and then this scrawl at the very end from Paul the Apostle. Remember my bonds. That's enough for me. I don't want to forget those that are in bonds. We live in liberty, and not everyone does. We have the privilege of being on our knees praying. Other people are thrown to lions because they refuse to stop praying. Let us take every inch of the privilege that we have in Jesus Christ and remember those in bonds. I want us to finish with two thoughts. First, we can only give that which we have. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I do have, give I thee. What do you have? When you meet the lame man at the gate beautiful and he holds out his hands for an alm, what do you have? Because you can only give that which you have. And Jesus can only be given to this world if he is in his saints. And that giving will come forth almost primarily through our struggles and through our challenges and through our trials. And when we are touched... May Jesus be seen. Secondly, I want us to wash the feet of those that are suffering. They're suffering for the glory of Jesus Christ, and may we not forget just because we live in fat, happy America. May we be on our knees and spend our liberties wisely. Thank you so much for listening to this message by Pastor Eric Ludy pastor at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns, cheering you on as Christ cultivates his set-apart life within you.